Hello and welcome to Night After Night, a podcast about eight seasons in a row. I'm Lisa Fernandes and... Hello, I am Chris Drywardena, co-host. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> and we are up to the second to last episode of the season. This is the flat, almost the end of the first season of Laura and Shirley. And something's pretty darn good. It's From Suds to Stardom. It was directed by sitcom legend James Burroughs. It was written by Alan Buzz Cohan. Uh, who's a fascinating figure, but they're all fascinating figures. I'm pretty sure Chris has some facts about them both. Yeah, uh, in the case of James Burroughs, my goodness, this man has done an incredible amount of television directing. And for having started as far back as 1974, as of this recording, he is still considered active in the entertainment industry as a television director, having also been credited with directing the last at least two seasons of Will and Grace, according to uh, Wikipedia. He has also done over 15 episodes, about 15 episodes of Friends, worked on Frasier, Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, what was it like four or five episodes of Taxi, uh, which mm-hmm. I like Taxi actually quite a bit. Yeah. Bob, Bob Newhart. Excellent. And so and and as well as uh, multiple episodes of Vernon Shirley. I mean, this guy is yes. a legend. He's, you know, yeah. incredibly be still working at that age, you know, shows that's reliability, sharp mind, incredible person probably to work with. Now it's, it's like now I'm fascinated. Like, I want to interview this guy. I need to look yeah. this up. He's a sitcom god. He is a sitcom god. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What Buzz Cohen? And for uh, Buzz Cohen was uh, was known as a longtime Carol Burnett writer. And uh, unfortunately, this was the only Laverne and Shirley episode he did, according to IMDb. But he ended up going on to work for writing for a lot of writing, uh, award shows through the 80s, the 90s, and so forth. And um, including uh, basically doing gags or you know bits and essentially writing for like the um, – uh, mostly like for the Emmys and award shows of that nature. Uh, what's incredible though, is it ends up becoming the, the father to two uh, well-known um, other uh, television people, including uh, 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 Genji Cohen, who is the, was the uh, creator of weeds as well as orange is the new black. And I actually did not take my note on what the son did, which I do, do, do help me rescue. Uh- <laughs> He co-wrote a lot of episodes of the Dennis Miller Show, and he co-wrote Wonder Years. I believe he won an Emmy for writing the Wonder Years. I believe. Ah, yes. Uh, all three Coens have won Emmys, and it's a uh, special feat. It's a rare feat, and I think they are the only uh, father-son-daughter team who have ever won an Emmy. Hmm. All three of ah, one Emmys. Here we go. That was the connection that was significant about David Cohen was his yes. also David Cohan is the um the creator of Will and Grace, which then means yes. that the uh writer of this episode um the had a kid who then went on to create a show that the director of this episode ended up yes. directing a ton of episodes for. Yes. So yeah, yes. very interesting. That's really neat. That's really neat. You gotta you gotta think about how the universe works and you hear about something like that. I think it's really, mm-hmm. it's really cool. It's really Absolutely. Especially given the, um, the fact that it essentially is, we've kind of sort of discussed as Laverne and Shirley as a show, like it ended up having all this talent come in and out that ended up going on to do other stuff and become, you know, cult actors or, you know, legendary television directors and just having these connections. It's just, it's a lot of fun. It's really cool. Yes, yes, yes. 
and even the stars themselves, they went on to do all these different amazing things. It's kind of mm-hmm. the, the the show is cursed and lucky at the same time, in a lot of ways, and we'll be getting there. We will get there by the T-shirt, which doesn't exist <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah. Here's what the episode is about. In the first of four Shots talent show episodes, the girls beg Carmine to coach them for their upcoming audition. Unfortunately, making it into the show means oppressing Gloria Lubitz, another of Laverne's rivals, who has turned them down multiple times. Gloria spread rumors around that Laverne was easy, so Laverne retaliated by gluing her cheese to her white bread. And now the girls had to put on a baffle performance to win her attention, or once again be shut out of the production. The girls don't have much in the way of performing skill, and they predictably miss out on a slot, enraging Shirley as well as Laverne this time. But Gloria has plans to humiliate the worst act on stage for the finale of the show. And when Squiggy declares he has too much pride to endure such a thing, the girls are unwillingly enlisted to perform before a backdrop of dancing, grass-skirted fellow employees. So what do you think about this one? This was an interesting kind of twist and fun. Uh, the one thing I, I really liked about this is... Um, it's a cool way of also showing some of the talents of some of the folks, both the, um, uh, like, and you see, you know, the, the first appearance of Lenny and the squig tones in the show, which is amazing. Yeah. And I, I love the song for that. Yes. And yes. as well, even the guest spot of, uh, Leland Palmer playing, um, Gloria is, um, it's actually really strong. It's a really strong performance. And I'm, and, and, uh, yes. and she's, yes. she's amazing yes. there. And there's, there's, again, it's just, it's the timing, it's the body language, the yes. expressions on her face, are incredible yes. and yeah there's yeah. there's it's just the it, it's yeah. interesting that it's a very contained episode it's another one where there's only like i want to say like two or three i feel like three locations really and and yet it yeah fills it by doing so it allows them to focus on making all of the beats kind of work really well and the, the, again like background players and supporting players yes. it, you know this being directed by you know, a legendary director makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of focus and attention put into many of the uh, uh, pieces that make up the episode's uh, uh, place. Yes. This is really strong. I think the conclusion might have been done with a little bit of tweaking to make it stronger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Laverne really needs to get her revenge on Gloria and she never gets her revenge on Gloria. Right, right. That's my biggest problem with this episode. Yeah. Uh, she never gets her come up co- her competence. Never, ever, ever, ever. Mm. Uh, she basically gets to humiliate the girls, and the girls kind of endure it. But then, on the other hand, they're happy because they get to get on stage and they get to perform. Mm-hmm. And that's the button, but it doesn't feel like enough of a button. You yeah, know? and that's and exactly it's it's the sure. it's a good point. I mean, as much as as positive as I feel about the stuff I really enjoyed about the episode, I agree that there are those those interesting glaring flaws and it's, it's where I, I have to kind of figure out for myself. I'm still trying to figure that out. Like how much of it am I willing to forgive? Because this sort of, even though the scenario, it sounds like comes back, Gloria herself, that never comes back as a character. So we never get a payoff to that merely that the characters have to just learn to live with, with them essentially, yeah. or live with what they yeah. did or what happened. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she was basically running around calling Laverne a slut. Right. Which is the 1950s version of calling her a whore. Right. Repeatedly. Yeah. In public. Exactly. And Laverne has not hit those heights to where the show will flanderize her towards later. Mm-hmm. Where awful things will happen. We'll get there. Eventually. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. she's... Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> Season eight. Ah, pickles, nuns, pickles, <sighs> nuns. Oh, yeah, but so she's so and the only revenge she takes on her is gluing her cheese to her white bread. Uh, and then, you know, and then Gloria gets her, ultimately gets her back and she doesn't, you know, get that retaliation. And it's not like what happened in the bowling episode mm-hmm. where all these th- horrible things are happening between her and Karen. She gets her revenge on Karen. Uh, I can, you could kind of see the point that the episode is trying to make that it doesn't matter. You don't need your revenge if you get your moment in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's not very satisfying. It needs to be more satisfying is my I say as I sit here and criticize an Emmy-winning writer, <laughs> but it needs to be more satisfying. Yeah, we don't know the circumstances yeah. though of the the writing process, and you know, because uh, one of my notes for sure was with this episode, it it tackles material that's very common of the '60s sitcom to me. Yeah, and yeah. these are tropes that I honestly, in most shows, I hate these tropes. I I don't like them. This yeah. the, this show has really had to win me over. Yeah. To appreciating them and i think it's because it's this show because i like these characters i like the the tone of it because there is this more yeah. sympathy and weight from the sense that gloria is really making fun of everyone you know and and uh yeah. and the idea that the girls you know the girls have to realize they can either you know take take the offense and be angry and upset about it or just kind of roll with it and and say you know i'm not yeah. going to let it keep me down which is a it's like I, because I've I've been in similar situations, you know, when I've gotten my work right. out there before an audience, where you know it's having any sort of reaction is kind of nice when you know you've worked so hard on something, you show it to a crowd, and all you get is pin drop silence, and you were expecting at least something, and you get nothing. And um, yeah. I understand the need to do that, but at the same time, I agree. Yeah, it's a payoff is nice, and you know, because we watch art in many ways for catharsis, and and we yes. we don't necessarily get the catharsis; we just get to have fun, relaxing, and watching them be goofballs. And yeah, yeah, the little extra oomph would be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It depends on how stereotypically sitcom you want to go in the end. It depends on if it's okay, you know, to have that little twist, or if it's okay to put the button on just like you want the button put on. Mm-hmm. And in the end, you know, like I said, we were, as we just said, I personally just needed that little, that's a little zhuzh. That's a little zhuzh is missing mm-hmm. for me for this episode. I like a lot of different, a lot of different pieces of it. Though. Mm-hmm. A lot of different places. As you said, this is the first time we get to see Lenny and the Squig Tones. Uh, the performance is legendary. Mm-hmm. It is perfect. Yeah. Uh, you absolutely can hear the boys' uh, writing voices in these songs. Michael and David wrote the music. They wrote the songs. Michael will write a lot of songs for the series as we go on. Uh, he and David co-write all of Lonnie and Squiggy material. Yeah, it, with these songs, it's you can tell. God, I love it so much. And when I began to like pick to, pick apart and realize what I was hearing in the lyrics are star-crossed, I just I adore it yeah. so much because it's it's a yeah. it's so goofy and yet it's an awesome. It's like yes. it's this great balance of it's actually great doo-wop rock. It's got the humor of yeah. Squiggy's voice singing it, where it's like it gets almost edgy into punks, the punk side almost. And then yeah. you hear the lyrics, yeah. and it's like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> this is their, but this is, this is definitely their idea of what a uh, 50s teen tragedy song would sound like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They'll just 
commits suicide at the end after this forbidden romance. And that's, but the, the boys have their dark point, like, when it comes to that. Like, uh, there is a moment in season six where they're all playing Truth or Dare. Or to tell the truth, this is a version of Truth or Dare. Uh, with uh, their new neighbor, Rhonda. And uh, Lenny is asked, what would you do if you only had 12 hours to live? And he goes, I'd kill myself. Oh my God. Oh my God. That's what he says. So you can see how this kind of informs his character. And you can kind of see how um, this works within the songwriting. You could tell, like, this is more of his voice in a song. I would say Night After Night is more Squiggy's voice. Hmm. Hmm. It's got a lot more, a lot more cynical, a lot more, who wants to sleep with the same broad line after night? Mm-hmm. You know, that's something Squiggy would say. Right. Whereas, whereas, exactly. Whereas here, it's the, you know, regular Romeo and Juliet, you know, going together like, yeah. uh, um, like lollipops and caviar. Um, yeah. The, 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 the sort of romanticized, you know, self-destruction at the conclusion again. It, yeah. Yeah. It's, that's just very Lenny. I mean, this is 1976. Punk was starting to happen, you know? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I, I don't remember when the first Ramones album was was out, but like, you know, we're getting, yeah, you know, when the show was being made, it was getting there. So. There have to be Sex Pistols first. Yeah. Sex, sex Pistols first. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, exactly. But I love how they created this in-character band. I love the fiction that they created for this in-character band, which they eventually, you know, kind of takes off. It takes off even more. Then the uh, album that uh, Penny and Cindy recorded in character as Laverne and Shirley, uh, which I just detailed on our Twitter. Please go look at that. Go dig up that thread. Yeah. <laughs> because I worked hard on it. <laughs> yeah, I, that was that was an adventure to read through that. That was really excellent work. It's fun. It was, that was a fun subject to research. But this, the Lenny and Squid Tones band takes off in a lot of different ways. They took the band on tour. They recorded a live album. Apparently, the original concept for it was not to be a live album. They wanted to do a garage band kind of album where you would have like skits in between that stood standing for rehearsal chatter. Mm. And they, uh, Casablanca didn't want that, the, the label they signed with, so they ended up doing a live album. And uh, it kind of leads uh, to them going a lot of different places because of that. They end up on uh, American Bandstand in character. Performing. Yeah, I love that video. That clip that's out there. Same. Oh. And for the purpose of the band, David and Michael created this fiction where they discovered Lenny and Squiggy performing in Pewaukee, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and brought them to the world stage. So they're real... They exist in the in quote unquote real world, but Laverne surely don't. Which I think is the best like twist. It's a, it's so it. good. I love that. And especially the way they deliver that 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 story on the American bandstand, which you can find yeah. that clip on YouTube of their yes. performance there. It's so that was so good. Look it up. We might put we'll probably put it in the info for this episode. Oh, certainly. Yeah. And and uh and also for um uh fans of This is Spinal Tap, there's uh there is a one familiar face, I believe, in the back. Yes. Uh that would be Christopher Guest. He uh plays guitar mm-hmm. he plays guitar on multiple appearances for the band. Uh he was play, portraying in a, a very early version of uh, Nigel Tufnell, who he portrays on uh, Spinal Tap. 
Mm. So it's really, really interesting. They were kind of workshopping uh, Spinal Tap as they were going along. Oh, the earliest performances I think that exists of them in character as these characters is, came in 1979, I think. Mm. There's a video of that where they did that for a special. Uh, it's interesting how a bit will change with time. Like, well, how the boys went from these uh, dudes grabbing their dicks and yelling at women to these, like, sensitive, more nuanced characters. And they are nuanced. Mm. The boys will develop nuance. It's coming. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to wait for the nuance. There is nuance. Especially, Lenny has more nuance than Squiggy. I want to, actually, you know, actually, Squiggy's got some real nice nuance coming up in, uh, Right around season five, season five, season four, you get develops a lot of depth. Hmm. But yeah, it's interesting how you when you workshop something, workshop something, it becomes something entirely different. It's really interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's there's an evolution process to it that I think is kind of cool. How you know you have this recurring character and your perspective of them changes. You, I think they become more real through that process, which, yes. which I think is what I love in this episode too, of getting to see Lenny and the squig tones is that, you know, seeing how talented they actually kind of are yeah. clarinet, notwithstanding that yeah. you're able to see that the boys are not just these goofballs, you know, that they also have their desires or their hobbies and their, and their dreams and things yeah. like that. And that's, that's always kind of cool. I always like, I like seeing that in a show. Like I, I like when yeah. someone can pull the veil back a little bit and what you thought was one thing has a little more going on under the surface. That discovery of under the surface is very, this is a lot of fun to me and very um, emotionally satisfying. Yeah. And then what's interesting about the whole thing is that Glo even Gloria, Looks at Lenny and goes, hey, you're talented. Let's use you with other acts. And of course, mm -hmm. Squeaky gets left behind because it's clarinet playing. Mm -hmm. He's not bad at all. Mm -hmm. And otherwise. And it's like you could tell how much actual talent and intelligence is going on in those guys' heads. Mm -hmm. when, you watch the, when you watch these segments, when you listen to these songs. There is a live album. Live album is rare as hell to find. You cannot find it streaming. You cannot find it in CD format. It only exists uh, in illegal bootlegs and on uh, vinyl pressing. But if you can get your hands on it, kid, it's worth it. Yeah, the, it the few cuts. It. There's a couple of cuts I've heard from that, and the uh, there's 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 a couple of really good gems, especially for '50s B movie monster fans like myself. Yes, 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 yes. I still love the line, show business is like a lifeboat, Squiggy. Only the talented women and children survive. <laughs> Which one am I? Which one am I? Oh, man. Anyway, but yeah, That's, moving deeper into the episode, yeah. the um, yes. the girls themselves, I, I think they, they um, I think what's also interesting here is seeing Laverne and Shirley in this episode be un really until the conclusion, to be honest, kind of oblivious to what's going on. Like there's yeah. a, I thought that was kind of interesting. Like they, you know, them at the at the outset, you know, talking to Carmine, you know, Mister Rags yeah. to Riches, um, to Riches to uh, uh, you know, ask him for advice, and you know how they, they, it's like, yeah, we've been working on this, we're working on this, and then of course they do the thing, and and Carmine's immediate reaction is, oh God, you know, he's yeah. he's, he's like more, he's almost like mortified, and yeah, and it's um. It was kind of it's fascinating because it also allows that they're able to you know play with the joke with them I, I should yeah. say because usually it's like one or the other in the pair 
is yeah. is the is the goofball, and now they're both goofballs, and the characters around them have to be the straight man. Yeah, yeah. This isn't the first time Carmen will react this way to hearing uh, the girls sing. Oh, this isn't really to hearing the birds sing. That's I mean, coming up too. I mean, to be honest, as as much as I like, I like, I like it in the actual performance, but at the end, but their initial scene of them singing Calypso is like a drunk man singing in a Peck and Paw movie. Yeah. Um. It's like, do you know how much? T- uh, there's a point that's made. I think I forget who made this point, but it is hard to be talented and look untalented. And everybody does such a good job here, and you know how freaking talented they are. Everybody is so freaking talented in this cast. Mm-hmm. Imagine how much talent it takes to look this bad. Just to, that's what you th- that's what you gotta think of when you're watching, the, especially watching the girls sing that those numbers. Yep. Just think how much talent it takes to try to look that bad when you know you're good. Mm-hmm. You know you're good. Well, yeah, apparently, according to Penny, they didn't. <laughs> They're damn good. Yeah. Yeah. This is and the just, first. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was. I was. I, I'm. Oh, no, please go ahead. I was gonna say this is our first shot talent show episode. We get three more. Mm. They are basically um, annual. Uh, there's one in season two, one in season three, one in season four. I am pretty sure there is none season five. I'm pretty sure. And then of course it ends because they moved to L.A. and blah blah blah. New job. So, what do you think of the format? Hmm. The whole format of it. I'm looking forward to seeing what else they do with it. Like, what new... Because it yeah. essentially becomes, like, episodic in the sense of it's what is going to be the new thing that's going to show up at the talent show? What new issue are they going to have to overcome? What are they going to be doing? What are other characters going to possibly be doing? Um, and how are they going to react, interact? Because I think that's one of the kind of cool things they sort of set up here is that it's for the whole Shots Brewery. So they can have new, like have a whole new cast of characters come in next year. And you know, I don't know where it goes. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, yeah. excited. But the format's interesting. It reminds me in some respects of how, um, as you're saying, like a recurring like season to season thing. It reminds me of like Bob's Burgers. How Bob's Burgers always has like the one musical episode. They often have like one episode about, they have ones about different holidays and um, yeah. every year. Because they decided to just go ahead and completely embrace Simpsons itis and say, okay, you know, we've done 10 years of the show. The kids are never getting older. Um, yeah. And so it's it's in that vein, I feel like, to to have this type of as a, as a talent show. A talent show episodes typically are another thing that kind of get on my nerves just because, you know, for television, because they're um, – uh, they have a tendency, I think, to often dumb down the humor. They make it kind of very basic common denominator. And I think that's yeah. why they use that simplified format and structure. And yeah. it was good to see here that they actually added some, you can definitely tell that, like, I guess, we, you know, we talked so much about the prestige of these, of the writer and director of this episode. And you can see why in that they, they didn't make it, nothing feels cookie cutter. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of take this format, which you've seen a lot of shows do. We got a lot of, let's put on a show kids and a lot of sitcoms. Yep. And the way they do this, they, they set it up and they contextualize it in a way that it makes sense that these brewery workers do this once a year for fun and you know, for the attention of the, uh, their fellow employees, for the applause, basically. Mm-hmm. And the way they do it makes a lot of sense and the way they stage it is really nice. The, the, the staging of this episode is real good. I like mm-hmm. the staging of the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah, there's there's a lot to... 
it's definitely, you know, like when we get to the ranking, I think I'll probably put this, you know, I'll have to, I'm still thinking about it in a way, but you know, it's, it's going to be kind of more, uh, mid- for me. exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, like there's a really high quality professionalism to like how like certain gags are timed and, and, and the staging overall, like, especially when you get to the Calypso performance at the conclusion or towards the end where, you know, the timing of the people in the, the grass skirts behind them and the dance and like, and revealing like, well, this guy's got balloons for, you know, all the balloons and the coconuts and, and all of that. It's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's hysterical because, and, and a lot of yeah. to make that work is your timing is your frame. And also even also it's like your framing, like working with the camera department to make sure that yep. the action is being revealed when it has to be. And then making sure that, you know, Penny knows where her mark is when she has to notice what's wrong and at what is it, what bar of the music it's at and so on and so forth. So yep. it's, it's really nice. And, um, and yeah, I'd be really curious to even know, like, you know, was this shot, was the performance done in like a few takes or did they all try to get it in one as a real performance with like four cameras, you know, and, and how was that done? Um, yeah. as, given that this was probably shot on film, my, my suspicion is it was not, uh, it probably was not done as, you know, this, this, this grand Spielbergian one or anything like that. Yeah, I, I'm actually, concer- I'm actually curious now about this because I have no idea how they filmed this mm-hmm. and how they broke it down and how they broke down the blocking. I'm pretty sure everything happens uh, in front of the studio audience in a single night. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. Some sitcoms uh, you know, go back and refilm things if it didn't work out in front of the audience. Or they used dress right. footage. Uh, in one case, they had used the dress footage in an episode. I'll tell you when you get there, when we get there. And mm. it's a horrifying reason when we get there. Mm. But that's the future. That's season eight. Oh, jeez. But the um, but yeah, I mean it's it's a good question because I mean obviously there'll be sometimes there'll be inserts that they get without the studio audience and close ups. You know they'll sometimes get at the very least um, as separate takes. You know they reset the camera. But I'm willing to bet like yeah. at, at most really there were only, I mean from what I've seen at least from the way the coverage is done, like two cameras I'd say minimum and like three maximum. Um, yeah. And part of it's just cost at that point because you know you're probably yeah. having to roll and roll and roll. Um, because it's not like today where like, you know, you do, you see an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is they, what they call as a single camera sitcom. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it's like, yeah, you just, you set up your camera, you do all your lighting and, you know, your gaffers are, you know, working like crazy. And you set up yeah. the one shot, you try to get as much in one as you can there. And then, uh, you know, get your coverage of that, that angle and then, and then move on to the next shot. So. Exactly. Um, so I'm very curious, like, yeah, like here, because, you know, this, this was at a time when live television was still very much a thing and, you know, people were still doing a lot of live television. So yeah, curious now, curiouser and curiouser. Curiouser and curiouser. Yeah. Sorry yeah. to mean to drop there. I was going to say, I think Carol Burnett show just finished, had just finished as they were starting hmm. with uh, live being live every week. So yeah, we were just at the end of that era. Let's going to bring, uh, uh, Carmine uh, singing at the Pizza Bowl. This is the first time he sings at the Pizza Bowl. This becomes a recurring job for him. Uh, it carries all mm. the way through season five. Uh, Frank takes him on, uh, apparently pays him for this. Well, well, what do you think so of I remember it's the, how, because there's that line, you know, how much are you getting paid? Uh, about, so can we talk about money? It's like, yeah, you owe me $6 for the pizza. <laughs> Yeah, I'm wondering what Frank's wages must look like in a way. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what do you think about this job for him? He's got a lot of jobs at this point. 
Carmine's interesting. This is another interesting side to Carmine, and it it shows to at least what it says to me yeah. is that they really wanted Carmine to be somebody that could be rotating different jobs, you know, and different tasks and different things he could do. I I like that it nuances his character. It it, it builds off of yeah. the fact that he can sing. He has a he has a good voice. Um, oh, yeah. Although I will say, obvious lip sync is obvious, despite <laughs> it being his real voice. So okay, so we now have had him as a boxer a dance studio instructor, and now as a part-time singer. What he really wants to do is direct. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, my issue with that is that it's I, it jars me the fact you see that all in one season. Yeah. Like, like, like obviously, we're Parks and Rec fans, Parks and Rec fans, yeah. you know. I mean, actually, you were yes, one of the people yes. that introduced me to that show. And yes. The the thing is, like Tom Haverford doing all the entrepreneurial stuff that he does to that show, it, it's yeah. season to season, you know. Yes. So it's like here doing it at you know season fourteen of fifteen, and season one he's changed job, like he's changed like or he's shown that he could do two other different jobs in that one yeah. season. That's a bit overkill for me. So it's yeah. like so I get why it's there. You know, that was my take yeah. on it. But that's it. I mean, I I. I I enjoyed him being in here. I actually have to say I liked his part in this more than I expected to almost, you know, again, you know, against my better judgment, but, um, and getting to see him overreact that they're very straight face. So it, it, I love the dynamic and the, when he gives them the, the critiquing because they're, yeah. they're completely straight face silliness. And yeah. he is, and ends up being the goofy loud one in that scene. And, 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 yeah. and that was a cool yeah. twist. You know, eventually everything pairs down and he becomes the guy that's known as the song and dance man in a way. Eventually, it just it feels like in season one they were trying to figure out where he is mm-hmm. uh in Shirley's life and where he is in the in the scheme of the show. Like he's Shirley's boyfriend, but we also need Shirley to date, so they can't be that connected. She's gonna be free enough to do her thing, but we also want her to be with this guy, this erstwhile boyfriend, basically the backup, the backup date mm-hmm. in a way, but not because that also develops in time. Yeah, it's 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 like there's yeah. this. It's, it's interesting. I guess what it feels like is Carmine in season one is they want their cake and eat it too. You know, they want to have the cake and eat it too, and it's yeah. it's, it gets a little. <laughs> Which right. gets to... So it's a little yeah. it's a little weird, a little frustrating. I guess just frustrating at some points, but. But yeah, but it's it 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 works here better than it does in other places. And to be honest, I think him as the singer is the one of the roles that actually works better for me for him, just because he his temperament is more like what I would expect out of one of those guys that was kind of a singer and kind of music and wanting to get into show business yeah. at that time. Yeah. Well, eventually he makes more sense as a character. Eventually, eventually he develops a singular goal. And that becomes more and more and more prominent. He actually, his character becomes better in season six, season seven, more interesting in a lot of ways. Mm. And then season eight. Oh boy. That all goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Everything goes wrong because we lose the book. We lose the book. We flail. We drown. Mm. Season eight is like watching your best friend drown and there's nothing you can do about it. That's what mm. season eight is like. <laughs> season eight is like. Mm. Ugh. Anyway, real, yeah. real quick thing though about Carmine before we 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 stop is that there's that line that uh, he's talking about trying to get them to do the calypso and move their hips and move and and yeah. everything. So he's supposed to show passion, it's supposed to show desire, it's supposed to show your sex. And <laughs> Laverne's face that like yeah yeah, and then Cheryl's like no, we don't we don't do that. 
that, <laughs> yeah, dude, that kills me. So great, kills me. So great. Oh man, it was like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Her exhibitionism becomes a strong thread in this show, and it goes wrong in season eight. Ugh. Await the sharks in season eight. Mm. Um. Now, back to the Carmen and Shirley relationship watch. Since we are mm-hmm. technically mm-hmm. on relationship watch. He's directly singing to her in uh, that initial pizza bowl scene. And it's mm. like, I wonder mm. if this aired out of continuity because they're definitely not back together yet. Mm-mm. But we know this in the future this will happen. So I thought that was a little tidbit of the future, so to speak. That was yeah. interesting. Very mm. interesting. It is. Interesting things are foot. Yeah. Not as interesting as Carmine uh, meeting Eddie Fisher because he was a towel boy, but... Right. Interesting. Oh, and I love that uh, that line, why did he leave Debbie? Yeah. Oh. It's a, yeah, that's, why did he leave Debbie? Yeah, that's a, that's a good burn. That's a good burn. Yes, yeah, why, yes, yes. Yeah, why, Eddie? Why? Yeah, hmm? yeah, yeah. Hmm? Get his ass. Get his ass. Um, get his ass. Get his ass. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any other. I'm checking also if there's any other details. Um, da, 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 da. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, some... you know, coming back to a couple of, couple of details. First of all, um, yeah. I love seeing that Boo Boo Kitty is featured again, even though it's just in the backdrop. Right. But um, yeah. but Boo Boo Kitty is there, precious stuffed yes. animal friend. And um, I love the another sign of you know i think the little touches and detail that they put on this episode so that even though there's some weak spots but they find a way to continuously make it entertaining yes is how they flip upside down for the you know for every drop of rain yes. that you know yes. and yes. and uh the flower grows and then the final shot the exterior shot as it pulls back yeah. is also then yeah. flipped upside yeah. down and it's yeah that's a that's a pleasure, and that's something that you know I I'd forgotten, so I went in back to make sure to double check for my notes. Um, yeah. I love discovering that. Yes, I love that. I love that so much. Uh, that's one of those little tiny details that just makes the episode kind of sing. It's one of the probably one of the best little minor details they've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, Penny and Cindy performed this upside down the song on the Dinosaur Show. Hmm. This happened. This hmm. happened. I have seen footage. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. I'll have to look it up. But that's that happened. That happened for sure. I'm yeah. And, okay. I'm really really curious now. Yeah, yeah. I will. I will look that up for you between episodes, actually, because they actually did do that upside down, uh, standing on their heads. Gosh. On the dinosaur show. I thought it was funny. Hmm. And then as well, um, getting, you know, kind of to the wrap up towards the end of the episode is I love the, uh, the tag scene of the four goofballs yes. at the end. Well, Carmine scenes yes. sings. It's, yeah. I just love that the boys get included as the Rugeses uh, to uh, quote Frank. Mm-hmm. I love Frank's introduction for Carmine here. First of all, mm-hmm. he was a, he was a boxer. And now he's a singer. And now he's a dance. He's a dancer, but I like him best as a singer. I just love that whole, uh, He's talented in both fields. I just love the way Phil Foster delivers that introduction. Mm-hmm. It still makes me laugh the way he just lets the gas car mine up a little. Like, that he's a really good singer, I promise. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got it's to hype him up a little bit. I mean, it's, you know. Yeah, I love the way the, the, the boys get included as, the back, as, as part of the backup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the, the way they arrange them. The way they arrange them down the line is uh, Laverne Lenny, Shirley, Squiggy. So you can... 
kind of mm. kind of arranging them by the way they're always arranged boy girl boy girl mm. and uh and i also love their differences the way they perform this number i love watching the different levels of uh how they're all each going for it in different ways. David is so committedly squiggy mm-hmm. in this bit. It is great. Yeah, he, he is so lost. He's like, I don't know what's going on. I really, it's like, <laughs> he he's so confused and it's adorable and hilarious. Yes, yes, yes. He's so committedly squiggy and squiggy is so... He's trying to get the choreography and keep up with the choreography. But he has absolutely no idea why why uh, Lenny is suddenly next to him. Right. <laughs> and I, I also love the uh, uh, to that note as well. It's like it's almost like Squiggy is the kid who like missed the rehearsals for the school play, yes. and so he doesn't know. Like like you even see the way he looks out, almost like out of the crowd, like uh uh, and he's like you know waiting for someone to cue him on what he needs yeah. to do. You can compare that. To Lenny and going full on theater kid. Mm-hmm. He is full on theater kidding in this part of this bit, which is so great. You can see Michael's theater roots here. He's just like gustoing. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. With gusto. And, With and that's gusto. hilarious. Yeah. Is, Much gusto. It's good. Yes. Yeah. It's, and then you compare that uh, to Cindy and Penny, who are both, Lauren Shirley, and the girls are both not only holding their own. But completely staying within character as well. Mm-hmm. And just like, yeah, sadly, the, the sad thing is Carmine kind of fades in the background because you're not paying attention to Carmine anymore. Right. That's the thing. I mean, I, I don't mind. Just, 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 yeah, no. just like, no, get out, get out here. Just put, put, him, put, him, put him over there. Put him over there. He's fine. Yeah. He's fine. We don't mean to bash Carmine so much. We don't. I, I'm gonna we end don't. up. I'm I might antagonize our fan base by accident. I apologize. <laughs> uh, I don't even know. Well, there was a big Carmine and Shirley contingent at one point. Mm. Uh, I don't know if they're out there. We promise you, good stuff's coming. We'll be nice. Yeah, we'll be nice. We'll be yeah. nice. But it's interesting. In the end, the show posits through Gloria's eyes. That the com- the combined forces the, the combined force of the talent of all of these people is somehow a smaller talent than a guy playing toot toot tootsie by smacking his palms on his eyeballs. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how the hell he's better than the girls. He's not, but that's glorious sense of taste. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's- this is a darn good episode. This darn good episode is not perfect. Not perfect mm-hmm. for me, but it's darn good. Um, to me, one last thing I wanted to bring up is that the girls both have such a different way of resolving the conflict in their lives, which the show will continuously bring up. It brings up in this episode. And uh, normally, Shirley is very meek and timid and peacemaker. This time, she is not. This time mm-hmm. she is ready to kick ass mm-hmm. and take every single name in the book. And I thought that was um, a nice little twist for her because she's normally post the pilot. She's never normally allowed to be that aggressive again. Think about that. Interesting. That's kind of. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. 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 Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. 
Just I'm thinking on that. It's, you know, and also just the um as we're just saying, yeah, this is the ex- I mean, I don't want to belabor the point, but yeah, just you know, adding those yeah. nuances or you know, interesting touches. And I guess that's that's why this episode does kind of for me, because I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about it. And yeah, it's different at times, but still within character. Yeah. Like it's it's a unique way of taking the characters or as, uh, facets of them and then bolstering those with the material. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm. I just think that it is uh, fascinating to me because you have the girls each in their own, <clears throat> in their own narrative boxes in a way. Mm. In a way, in their narrative boxes, in a way not. Because normally it's Laverne out there, you know, kicking people's teeth at Peoria. <laughs> and right. normally Shirley's the peacemaker. And then this time, this time it's completely reversed. And Shirley kind of gets them into this one. Right. Because... Laverne was Laverne already hated Gloria. She already knew where she stood. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, what would you rank this one? For me personally, it's a it's a pretty good like six and a half, almost a seven. But like realistically speaking, it's more of a six, just because I think it is very funny. But it it I wish it had had a little more weight. And I agree. You know, I think the aspect of payoff would have been nice to have seen. I think it's yeah. like they, if they had gotten to the ending that they did use, it needed to it need to be earned a little more that, you yeah. know, that uh, I guess that's the catch is that, you know, if you're going to do the, the twist ending or a turnaround on it, you have to earn it. You can't just do everything beat for beat the same way, or maybe not can't, you just have to be careful, I guess is what I mean. Um, Cause you know, yes. I'm, I, I, I mean, you know me, I've pulled the rug out from under my audiences a couple times with yeah. mixed results. So. Yes. To me, this is just a solid, probably I give it like a, a, a five and a half to a six and a half. Uh, watch Starcrossed, kids. Mm-hmm. CBS is still dicking us. Will not give us streaming so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, your only options are to either see this on YouTube, to watch the logo reruns. We encourage you to watch logo reruns so we can prove that there is interest in the show, or buy the DVDs. And I actually, curse DVDs over anything at the moment because. Uh, they're the closest season one, especially the closest you can come to an uncut version of the show. Right, right. Yeah, it gets it, complicated as the seasons go on. Oh boy! When it comes to that, uh, wait for those musical substitutions. They're coming. Oh, that's season right. Season two yeah. is gonna. Season two is an amazing season, and it kicks you right in certain areas of your body with what it chooses to do. Oh, my spleen. Yeah, my spleen. Oh, it's gonna I'd go crawling them- and scaring the angry beavers now. My uvula, my uvula. But uh, look this up. Look it up. Look it up, kids. Yep. Stream the song. Listen to it. It's good. It's uh, damn good. It's it's seminal. It's important. <laughs> uh, it's a seminal important, both within the canon of the show and both within uh, the boys being the boys. Mm. Um, this is the first shots talent show. For that alone, it's enjoyable. Plot-wise, it is a little light. Uh, Plot-wise, you have the problem of it not really resolving well or in an interesting manner. Mm. Uh, It really could use more solid button. It could use a firmer button. But Gloria is a perfect Laverne foil. We unfortunately never get to see her again. Yep, really, really wish we could have seen her again. Leland Palmer owns that role. God, she's amazing. She is my second favorite Laverne rival. We have not met Big Rosie Greenbaum yet. We're about to. She is a pistol and I love her. 
Shout out to Carolina White. I know you're out there, girl, on the twits. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a badass, and we love your uh, performance. And we will. He will. I love it. I get to confirm. I, yeah, I've, I haven't seen that particular performance. I saw the, I saw the other one. Yeah. The other one yeah, was yeah. great. Well, wait till it. we get here. Wait till we get there. Rosie's the best. Okay. I love her so much. Awesome. It's about, yeah, right mid-range for me. Uh, it's got some really important moments. Some really good moments. Track them down. Uh, watch them when you can. Try to prove yeah. we got some interest going. This show being streamed. and Yeah. Fingers crossed. It's good. Good, but not perfect. It's mm. not my favorite episode of the season, it's got, but it's got some great points and some important seminal moments. Nice. Cool. Yeah. I guess that wraps us up then for today, yeah? Yes, it does. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, everyone out there in the darkness, for joining us on this. Uh, actually, well, we're technically in our own confined space on other sides of the country, so we don't actually have yes. a, a, the weather or time. It's all funky dunky here. So yeah. anyway, uh, if you would like to watch more or, I guess, listen to more of us, please definitely look for us as, at uh, Night After uh, Night After Night Pod on most of the different places. If you'd like to contact us on the social media hellscape, we are on Twitter at <laughs> Night After Night PC, as well as Night After Night Pod on Facebook and uh, Tumblr. And as well, there's a Patreon if you'd like to give us some support and check out those incentive bonuses. And yes. uh, yeah, I think that's the, mostly the main way to kind of get in touch and keep. Uh, hopefully you'll be keeping watching with us because we're having ourselves a good time, good old time. And uh, If you got any questions, do you have any questions for us? Would you like to interact with us? Do you have any comments? Uh, we have an email address, nightafternightpod at gmail.com. Come interact with us. Give us something to read. Yes. Yeah, please. We, we have far too much time on our hands, as well as far too little time on our hands simultaneously. It's a, a bizarre paradox, which I think many people yeah. can relate to these days, and so on and so forth. But yes. Make our quarantine hell happier. Yes. That's and, it for this week. <laughs> uh, the next episode is going to be the last of this season, isn't it? Yes, indeed. Oh. This is Mother Knows Worst. Uh, Shirley's mom comes to visit her, and it turns into a disaster. Uh, that yeah okay that sums up pretty nicely i mean that's going to be exciting to see what shenanigans ensue also there will be many shenanigans and much shenaniganing mm, shenanigan yeah but uh anyway thanks again everyone thank you again lisa for uh dragging me in on all this this was this this was an episode that definitely was a lot of fun to go through Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's good time. Wait till we get to season two, season three. Oh, man. This is going to be some awesome stuff ahead. At least the next, like, two or three seasons, we got a lot of solid ones coming towards us. Cool. Excellent. Well, until next time, everyone, we'll see you at the final episode of season one of Laverne and Shirley. And uh, from all of us here at the Night After Night pod team, uh, just want to just wish you well. Have a good day. Have fun, kids. Have fun. Hmm. <laughs>